latest red robin podcast heritage cast which is of course powered by 360 chartered accountants and budget ties auto center joining me for this heritage cast is someone who is simply championship and premiership double renowned in both australia and england for his great hands speedy attack and icy composure our latest guest is rovers royalty and someone who certainly enjoyed a stellar rugby league career and it is with great delight that i'm able to introduce mr don john dora here how are you doing john Hi, Chris. Terrific. Thanks. And thanks for the intro, gee whiz. Wow, that's, that is royal. Thank you. Yeah, yeah no problem, John. And, and for people who are not familiar with what you're up to, I mean, it's been probably a while since you've been over to England and, and connected with Rovers fans, etc. Yeah, I know you've got a, you've got a move into politics and you're, and you're busy over in Wollongong now, aren't you? Uh, yeah, I, I still have a day job, as I, as I call it, uh, plus uh, being a councillor here at, at Wollongong. Um, I've been there for on council for over 10 years. I, my day job, I've been there for going on 16 years now. And um, yeah, it's a busy lifestyle. It's not unlike having been involved in uh, in rugby league. It's uh, it's full on and and the w darling wife, Linda, has to put up with a, a great deal. Yeah. And I know when uh, we announced that you'd be coming on the, the podcast, uh, you know, we got a great reaction from Rovers fans because obviously uh, you are really fondly thought of and... and you know, it was a, a rugby league heyday back in the 80s with, with some outstanding success for the club. You know, briefly, you know, how do you sum up your time at Rovers when you look back now? Oh, Chris, that, that's a very easy answer for me. Um, both personally and as a family, it was um, crazy. I, I get a little bit emotional because um, some of the best years of our life, my life, uh, of my rugby career, um, when um, how it began was I'd played at, at Lee for about eight, eight or nine weeks back in 1973 and we, we happened to play against uh, Hull KR in my first uh, first team game at uh, the Old Craven Park and uh, I, I don't remember anything about it because I got knocked out by uh, Rovers uh, Bobby Smithies who God rest his soul has now passed but um and he's a local uh, Illawarra lad, played for Dapta. And uh, at that um, juncture, I guess, fast forward 10 years, uh, Colin Hutton was visiting Sydney to watch some uh, some rugby and uh, look at uh, look, looking for players to come back and, um, and play at Hull KR. He just happened to come along to a match at uh, Cogger Oval and uh, watch St. George play Illawarra. And I was playing uh, standoff, as you would call it, 5-8 out here. And I had a bit of a, a pretty good game. And anyway, and Colin, having known Alan Fitzgibbon, who was our coach, and because Alan played at, uh, at Rovers in 73 also, um, and he, he invited Colin in and Colin asked, you know, if he could talk to some of the players. And of course, Alan obliged and 
and uh, Colin um, in his chats came up to me and asked, you know, whether or not I, I was I enjoyed England, which I, I had done um, back in '73, although it was a, a short time. And then he asked, you know, would I be interested in going back again? And I said, absolutely. It's one goal that I've always had, and unfortunately, because of the uh, the blockage in the international transfer system, then it wasn't much of an opportunity uh, presenting. Anyway, it's, uh, long story short again, um, Colin went back to, to Hull, uh, must have spoken to the board and to, of course, Roger Millward, the, the wonderful coach, and uh, said, look, you know, opportunity to come over. And they called me up and uh, invited me over. Uh, we then went through the process of uh, fighting the rugby league here in, in Australia and uh, having a win um, and then being the first of the uh, Australians to, to sign up and come to England and, and me being blessed, play for Hull Kingston Rovers. And that was how it all started. Yeah, and like you've um, already mentioned, it wasn't the, the first time that you came over to our shores to play rugby league. How did that move to Lee come about? It was through... Um, Oh, 1973, of course, was a kangaroo tour a year. And I'd played uh, representative football for both Illawarra and New South Wales country uh, against uh, City and being all those uh, you know, high-profile players. Uh, and when it was coming up to kangaroo selection time, my uncle, who was um, from the Wirral in near Liverpool, uh, had married my... Um, father's sister he said mate i hope you get on the uh, the tour anyway I, I didn't they took um alan mcmahon instead and he said what about going over would you be interested i said absolutely so he got in touch with uh, a good friend of his which is a, a, a chap by the name of dave cox and dave at that time was uh coaching cass um dave had coached other nationalities he'd coached dewsbury and uh batley i think uh and one or two other clubs as well so he, he was well versed in uh, the english rugby league scene um and uh, dave um then made contact with uh jack hilton i think it was at the time uh who of course i think the ground the old Lee Ground Hilton Park was named after the Hilton family or after him as a namesake. And um, they they invited me to come across uh, and my cousin Tony came with me and we, we spent about eight or nine weeks there um, playing first and second team rugby. And what did you notice as the main differences between playing over in Australia and obviously then coming across to England? Well, back at that time, um, I don't think it was anything too dissimilar when I did end up coming to Hull Kingston Rovers, uh, was the, the speed of the game was a little bit slower, but of course the grounds were a little bit heavier. Um, and the the training was probably a, a wee bit different. Um, you know, it was a fair bit of touch and pass, played in, in warm-up and all that type of thing, which wasn't here in Australia. Uh, but it, it took me back to um, enjoying the love of the game and that was you know probably one of the big things that came out of uh, going back to in 83 uh the whole kr was that um under roger millwood uh you know it was one of well come on lad you know how to play the game uh get out there and do your thing and um you know the rest will look after itself and uh, good quality team good quality players 
a tremendous uh, quality club and um, yeah, it was a very successful time. Yeah, and obviously for people who are watching and, and, and listening to this, uh, John, you, you enjoyed a, a really successful career over in Australia and you're obviously highly thought of uh, at Illawarra. He was the first ever captain uh, of the club. Tell us a little bit about the setup of rugby league in Australia then, because obviously we're familiar familiar with the NRL now and, and the teams mm. who are in there, but obviously it was a lot different back then, wasn't it? Yeah, I abs absolutely. Um, 73, it was country football. Uh, then you played against the big boys who were playing for the, the Sydney clubs and it was only the uh, New South Wales Rugby League back then, uh, which is con confined to Sid the Sydney um, region. Uh, I I left uh, West Silawarra down here where I was being coached by Warren Ryan at that time, who was certainly um, well-regarded coach, but an up-and-coming coach, if you like, for potentially for Sydney. And I went to West Western Suburbs Magpies. I uh, spent six years there and then uh, two over at Manly and then come to Illawarra, of course, where Colin Hutton had, had seen me uh, before I finished off at North Sydney. But rugby league uh, back then was um, very different on both sides of the uh, the oceans. Um, you, know, you you could play rugby and uh, you could try things and there might be a mistake, but you wouldn't pay as heavily for it then as what you would today where the opposition would uh, potentially get a score against you uh, in these days. Um, Back then, uh, you know, you you go to training and then uh, you, you go to um, the club alongside the, the ground and uh, you'd have a, a couple of jars of beer and uh, and then uh, head off home. And, um, you know, unlike today, I, I think they're fairly strict in their regimen of uh, training and being alcohol-free and, and all that type of thing. But the game was definitely slower, uh, except for... Interestingly, if you have a look at uh, the, the tackle and the play the ball, it's much slower today at that part of the game than it was back in the um, 70s and 80s. Um, and because players just made the tackle, they got up, marked up, got on with the game. Whereas today, they're, they're trying to uh, hold the, the uh, player carrying the ball up a wee bit. Uh, that then allows, because they've got the ball trapped, that allows their players to get back on side and have a bit of a second or two rest and then they flop down and um, slow down the, the play the ball that way so they're probably the uh, that's probably the major thing for me uh, of course except for the other thing being scrummaging um, I think that's a blight on the game that uh, we don't coach um, forwards in how to scrummage correctly as they did back in the um, in the 70s and 80s and I can remember Warren Ryan brought down uh, a well-known English uh, test forward in Cliff Watson to one of our training sessions. And um, Cliff got two forward packs to, to pack down and he packed on one side as, as a prop. And, and what he did in pushing and pulling and prodding the uh, the other guys around and saying, well, look, you know, this is how you, you pack. You pack tight and uh, you look after your hooker and... Um, then, yeah, the, the game's changed. Whereas today, you know, it's basically you you put a hand in the in the scrub and you bend over as as though you're, you're packing in, but you, you're not. Um, I I honestly think that's a blight on the game. 
Yeah, and it, it's probably gone forever now, hasn't it? I don't think it'll it'll ever return. Mm. Obviously, with COVID, we saw scrums go and and and, and not part of the game. Obviously, in England, have they've made a yeah. return, but um, it's an element of the game that you know many people wish was was coached more, was introduced more. But obviously, the rule makers at so keen it seems on, on scrums are they? But it was an interesting observation you made about the speed of the game, and and do you think that speed of the game is is you know, it's almost fight or flight. You know, you was renowned for, for ball in hand and your ability to, to make quick passes, etc. When the game's yeah. been played so fast, you know, did, did you react really well to that? Because other players don't, do they? They need a bit more time. Was you did you did you react really well to, to the speed of the game and, and do you think that enhanced your, your ability to play? Uh, uh yeah, absolutely. I, I guess growing up, um, you know, we used to go down to the, the local park and and play touch with uh, or even tackle at times with uh, my um, local mates um, you know we used to play a game called forcing back which helped me improve my kicking game uh, in general play kicking um, then of course you were kicking goals and things like that um, but the the game itself as far as the speed is concerned um, I guess there's a, a natural ability to that as well being able to catch and pass and hand-eye coordination and all those, um, I, I was blessed to, to have a you know good hand-eye coordination and be able to uh, look peripherally at what was happening out there uh, to the side and knowing that oh gee, where's this guy's going to belt me now? But I, I know where my support is or where my centre is or or my inside play and things like that. That um, you're able to. Um, Oh, get through that play pretty easily and uh, knock the pass on to someone else in a better position. Yeah, and it's that ability that must obviously led to you play for New South Wales and Australia. You know, it must <laughs> be you know really happy times for you to be able to to represent um, your state and then obviously country as well. Oh, absolutely! Like like all our players, you know, like your Mike Smiths and your George Fairburns and. Lynn Case and all those lads that um, David Halls had played for England as well, you know, and probably some of the county sides at the time. Uh, you know, being chosen as representative player, um, it just puts you up there as far as, you know, the highest team is concerned. Um, it, it's a reward for effort. It's a reward for, reward for your uh, ability and tenacity um, and uh, being able to play as a team player, not just as an individual as well. Yeah, yeah, and obviously, you know, when you come to Rovers and you've got a, a, a career, what you've already had in Australia, you know, one of the Rovers fans were excited to see you sign. Obviously, Colin Hutton came over to to check you out and bring you over. Roger Millwood was the coach, but it wasn't the first time that you'd come across Roger, was it, with him playing for, for Cronulla over in Australia? No, correct, yeah. I played against uh, Roger when he was out here, and uh, although I didn't get to know him personally then, um, I think he probably ran around me a couple of times, <laughs> but um, it, Roger was uh, a fantastic coach. Um, he was very different to any other coach I'd had. He was, um, if I can say, more more laid back than probably I was, uh, mm. as, you know, in my temperament. And um, but Roger knew what to say, how to say it, and uh, looking to uh, just pull all of that energy out of the player to play the game well and and uh, play either individually or within the group or within a particular move that we might have on and things like that he and he, he knew that um 
you know, the, the uh, Derby games that we played, uh, which is another fantastic thing that I was very fortunate to be able to play in, uh, you know, against the whole black and whites, that um, there's nothing like it, uh, just as a, a team and as a club. But then when you get out there in the lead up to the game and you see the, the, the supporters out in the streets, um, you know, they're saying good luck this week and hope you play well, hope you win, all that. And then when you you walk out of the tunnel and up onto the ground at, at certainly at Craven Park, um, then the noise the, and the, the singing and the chanting even before the match starts uh, is something that to behold and something that um, Australian Rugby League just doesn't have like you do in England. It's, um, you know, it's the culture um, and it's... Um, it's just so wonderful that you know, I can't express the, the gratitude uh, from me or even my family that uh, we, we were able to experience that. It um, was enormous and, we, you know, thank God for it. And, you know, it was fantastic to have Roger uh, leading us and and then Colin with these uh, backroom people, you know, that uh, everything was just straight down the line and uh, we knew what our jobs were and, and uh, we, we went out there to battle and we, we battled hard and, um, you know, we won plenty of games. Yeah, and you're not the only uh, guest we've had on who's mentioned the derby, especially, uh, you know, people from Australia and New Zealand. It's one of the, maybe one of the biggest selling points. And I think Clint Newton said he'd rather play in front of 12,000 at Craven Park than he would 90,000 in a in an NRL grand final just because of the noise and intensity and, and, and the passion that's shown. Um, so I think it is something that is unique to our sport. But going back to when you signed for Rovers, am I right in thinking that you never had a written contract whilst at the club? Correct. <laughs> Which is yeah. pretty uh, pretty good going, isn't it? For, you know, when you look at, you know, what goes on in these days and, and you know, it's pretty, oh, okay. uh, it must have been built on trust. Look, it was. Um, when you meet a, a man like Colin Hutton, uh, excuse me, getting emotional because I, I love the man. Um, it was just a shake of the hands. Hello, John, nice to meet you. Um, you know, watched you play for Lee against Rovers and uh, and then when, when we got to talking on the phone and things like that and then of course Ron Turner, the, the former general manager, he he, he was in, involved at some stage too. Um, you, you just had that innate confidence in the process um, and it was one of, yep, you, you could trust this person and and we each of those three seasons we spent there. No, we never never had a contract, uh, unlike I did elsewhere. Um, and uh, it was yeah, one of the most wonderful things that I can take away from the game that uh, there was a trusting factor in it. And um, yeah, there was not one hiccup at all. Um, the home that we were placed in out at Thorngambald was fantastic. It was. Right, suited right down to the ground to the family, and um, the neighbours were wonderful. And you know, we, out of it, we've we've got firm. I call friends. We call family um, in the the Gale family and in, in uh, Standage. And um, yeah, it was just wonderful. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, John, because how important is it that as, as much as that you're looked after, that the family's looked after as well? Because we've seen some players come over to England and, and probably struggle because the family's left behind in Australia or New Zealand and you sometimes see them struggle to settle. How important was for you that 
AU was looked after and then obviously your family were looked after as well? Well, it was really Colin uh, that put it forward. He, he said to me, look, John, the first thing we do is we'll, we'll look after you and your family. Uh, you know, we'll arrange the accommodation um, and put you in a, a nice village uh, rather than the centre of town. Um, and I think that was important uh, coming from a place like Wollongong, which is more, it's pretty much like Hull, but it's um, where we live in, in Fig Tree. It's um, like, like a village thing. And um, when, um, when we arrived in Hull, uh, we were picked up by, um, by both Ron Turner and uh, chap, God rest his soul, Max Gold, who was a director at the time and a, a lawyer, um, and driven back to, to the club and met Colin and met Roger and met everyone. And then it was time to go off to uh, our house. Um, and when we got out to Thorngambald, um, you know, the house was a, a semi-detached, it was a three-bedder, so it was going to suit us as a five-member family and with the twin lads. And we had good neighbours and, um, you know, the, the most prominent of our neighbours was uh, Roger and Angela Gale uh, with their daughters, Sue and Mandy, and um, they... they well, crazy part was as soon as we arrived in, in uh, Thorn, um, I went and had a, a sleep because I had training that afternoon. And uh, my wife Linda and um, the two lads walked around to the uh, the local shops. And whilst on a walk going around there, uh, this young lass um, says uh, Sue Gales, as the name turns out, and being the neighbour across the road, says, "Oh." Excuse me, are you the new Aussies? And um, <laughs> and uh, of course, Linda said yes, we are. And of course, being strangers in the the village, I guess probably easy to point that out. Um, and uh, from there, we and she says to Linda, oh, "Do you need a babysitter?" Well, Linda's gone. Oh, <laughs> there is a God. Thank you. And so, yeah, from that moment, um, it was really easy to uh, settle in. Um, Angie uh, used to invite our uh, young daughter over, who was only 18 months at the time, and, and as we went through those three seasons, um, across to to help her cook and bake and all those sorts of things whilst we went off to the rugby. And um, as I say, yeah, they're, they're just firm family friends and they live out school all the way now. But, um, yeah, it, it's... I couldn't uh, thank Colin and Roger and, and uh, Marjorie Hutton and, and that for, for everything uh, they did. And then um, there's the, the players' wives as well, Mike, Mike Smith's wife, Jackie. Um, she, she, she really enveloped um, us as the, the people from down under and, and showed us the way and, uh, you know, and certainly very helpful and, and secure for, for Linda to have that that friendship come out of it too, and you know, and we remain friends to today, and we, we regularly speak to, to both uh, Rod, or Angie Gale, Rogers past, and uh, to, of course to uh, to uh, Mike and Jackie Smith, we regularly yeah. talk to them. And I bet you couldn't believe it—you've travelled halfway around the world, and then one of your first games is against the touring Queensland side, which is of course <laughs> made famous by. Uh, Mark Broaders taking on the, the referee's role and, and laying down a marker to the Queensland side. 
I mean, that must have been a bit of a baptism of fire for you. Well, it, it was because I, I guess, uh, especially Mark and I, we, we we knew what to expect from the Queenslanders, uh, given that um, you know they come from Australian side. They were coached by Arthur Beetson, who of course is a another well loved um, ex player of uh, Rovers, and um, so we, we knew it wasn't going to be easy. You had your Wally Lewises and all these players there who are quality players uh, in the game, and um, but. When we went out there, we, we knew what we had to do. We had a really good team, you know, Great Britain internationals, England in, internationals, and Kiwi internationals. Um, so it was a, a quality team, well coached, and um, we, we stood up to them. And when um, when Mark floored that Shane Bernard, uh, that probably helped us win the game because um, they they went on a uh, a game plan of retribution, which went right against their, their game plan of trying to win the game, I think. Yeah, and when we spoke to David Hall, he said it was probably one of Hulkington Rovers' greatest ever results, just, just because of how good that, that Queensland side was and, and how well the team had reacted to the adversity and the, and the yeah. you know, and, and, and how they uh, managed to come away with a victory. Because also, if you look at who Queensland then went on to play and the victories that they, that they got uh, whilst touring, yeah. it just shows you how big that result was and I think um, I'm sure David said that Arthur Beeston had, had he wanted to play Rovers again before the before they went back to Australia he did he um, asked Colin Hutton if they could have a, um, a return match towards the end of their tour uh, and naturally enough we didn't want to get involved in that and Colin and <laughs> Roger didn't want to get involved because we, we were one up um, who, who cares about the result for them we, we we're just happy to have um, beaten queensland and yeah, and got one up on the aussies yeah but that 83 84 season john it, it couldn't have gone better for you probably as a player and it couldn't have gone better for the club could it 27 appearances 18 tries 74 goals 222 points obviously you won the harry sunderland trophy division one champions premiership winners you know for for a fair season it's not bad is it oh mate it's the best <laughs> Um, I, I don't think I could have asked for anything more uh, in the first season. And, um, you know, playing with those lads, uh, it, it just showed when you play with quality players that uh, your own game lifts and everyone else is lifting as well. And and when you know you can trust in the bloke alongside you to either make the tackle or help you make the tackle or make a run and, and know you're going to have support there, um, you know, you we're blessed again uh, because it was a, a quality team quality club yeah and how much was you enjoying playing at 5-8 because obviously it's a position that moved you to coming over to Rovers yeah well look I, Warren Ryan always said that I, I was I was probably destined to be a better 5-8 than I was uh, a fullback or even centre when I, when I played centre um, and I thoroughly enjoyed it and you know unfortunately i I took over from uh, Steve Hartley, who was a fantastic um, rugby league exponent at uh, the standoff position. And um, but in saying that, you know, Roger felt that I, I was ready for it, and it might have been an injury or something like that that uh, opened up that that door. But it was um, it was wonderful to be able to play in that that role for for the team. Um, and yeah, you know, it was certainly all 
uh, ticked off by some of the big wins we had and, and certainly getting that uh, championship out over at Lee itself, as it turns out, funny enough, and then winning the premiership at Headingley. Yeah, and, and I suppose, uh, was you aware of how many competitions that role was actually played in? Because you have the Yorkshire Cup, John Player, uh, obviously the uh, Challenge Cup, you know, the, the, the league, you know, the, the yeah. hell of a lot of rugby leagues to be played there, wasn't they? Yeah, and then the Premiership. Um, yeah. yeah, having uh, five trophies to uh, play for, I think, really kept the interest in there for all clubs. So, therefore, it was a, a real contest uh, across the uh, the game itself. You know, it wouldn't matter whether you're, you're playing a Leeds or you're playing a Salford or you're playing a, um, a Keithley or a Batley or anything like that. It's, um, you know, uh, everyone was looking for, for a win and, and glory. Um, but, you know, we're very, again, blessed to be able to play with a group of guys like we did at, at Rovers in 83-84. And uh, Len Casey as uh, captain in that year, was he was as hard as nails and he demanded the best from the players and he'd soon get into you if he thought you were um, not putting your best foot forward and, um, you know, at half time and things like that. And uh, so, yeah, it was a pretty tremendous year. Yeah, and while obviously you know it's it's great that you're sharing the team's success and being part of club success, and you're, and you're in it for each other, to to get um, you know your own recognition with the Harry Sunderland Trophy must have been uh, probably the, the cherry on the cake. Yeah, you could call it a cherry on the cake, Chris. But at the same time, you know th that was a, a team game. I, I don't think I did anything really outstanding. Um, th there was other players there that, you know, you look at the forwards and they don't always get the glory that uh, some of the backs do either, but um, th they set up the win for us and, um, you know, and quashed the, the Castleford um, attacking plays and through the forwards and um, and we, we were very fortunate enough to um, come away with the win. But, of course, saying that, you know, I was very proud to have, uh, won the Harry Sunderland uh, trophy that that day and and be a part of a uh, a winning combination and, and and win the premiership final. Yeah, and, and what stands out for me is the the blend of players that that Colin and Roger had, had managed to assemble. You know, we had the the guys from overseas like yourself, Gary Prom, Gary Smith, Matt Broadhurst, but there was a, a really good sprinkling of local lads as well. And I think that blend w was what really paid dividends for Rovers in the end. How important was the, obviously, how Roger set you up on the pitch, but also away from the pitch? How did you interact with each other? The relationships that you all formed, how important was that? Very important, the same as it is at any club. Um, you know, if the players aren't getting on uh, off the park, uh, then it's highly unlikely that you're going to get uh, to go play well on the park, as you know, at the higher level that you want them to play at. Um, there was plenty of guys within the, the team that uh, travelled as well, down from York and Leeds and, and Wakefield, you know, Andy Kelly's and the like. Um, you know, Dave Watke and was coming down from, and uh, Dave Laws were coming down from York. Uh, then you had the Chris Burtons from uh, Leeds and, um, oh, gee, who else? You know, um, but there, there was plenty of travellers there and they'd always there, there for training and, you know, whether it was a cold night or a, the warm uh, April evening and things like that. It was uh, it was just a terrific bunch of blokes. Uh, we always had a, a beer after training and 
um, some didn't always have a beer. They'd just have a, um, a cordial of some sort and then hop in the car and, and head off home. But it was yeah, plenty of banter and um, they call you for uh, making a, mis- a big mistake and or missing a goal and things like that. But, of course, uh, as much as I, I kicked some goals that year, George Fairburn, to me, um, was a wonderful exponent of the, the goal-kicking duties and, um, you know, I think only that he, he was probably injured at times and, uh, and he probably felt as though he wasn't up for, for kicking on a day that I got the opportunity to kick some goals, you know, although a wee bit different in uh, how we kicked. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it's something we always bang on about on the podcast and it's something Josh Mantellato said to us about the importance of goal kicking. You know, how, how seriously did you take it, John, goal kicking? Because obviously... You know, you got a tremendous record, and and you know you got the name Joe Cool for a reason. But but how how much focus and how much training did you do to make sure that you was able to, to perfect your technique? Oh, from a, from a young age, Chris, I practiced goal kicking, you know, forever and a day for all hours. You know, sometimes my mother would be calling down the street, get yourself home, you know, and things like that. Um, when I went to to Sydney. Um, I, I practiced uh, before and, and after training sessions and certainly on a Friday night before we play on the weekend, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd get a, three or four balls and, um, you know, put them over from different uh, areas on the field. And, and the same when I got to England because the um, the balls were, were different. Um, I and They weren't leather in, in England at that time. I, I had to uh, feel as though I got used to it. And even though George Fairburn was kicking at the time, I... As well as our, you know, I needed to be ready. Should I be asked to um, step up, and uh, yeah, that's it made it easy by uh, practicing. That's for sure. Yeah, and then these days, uh, John, players have a, a long season. They then enjoy a, a holiday, have a rest, recuperate, and then come back for pre-season. But not back in the eighties, was it, John? You went back to uh, play for the Illawarra Steelers. Um, you know, probably return as a bit of a hero. How do you do it, John? Out physically, how did you do it on the back of such a long season to then go back up to the other side of the world and, and then play play rugby league again? Yeah, um, Chris, it was interesting. I had five winters in a row at one time where I'd played here, then played at Rovers and came back and played here and then again back over in England and that sort of thing. And um, I didn't find it hard at all. Uh, that might seem crazy, but I... I enjoyed playing the game um, and I'll, I'll digress for a moment. There's a lot of uh, Australian players that say, oh, I couldn't play back-to-back seasons. Uh, I, I'd be stale and things like that. Well, uh, for me, uh, where I sit and how I enjoyed the game was I just went out there and played. I, I knew I loved playing the game and and so I just put the boots on and put the Rovers jersey on in this instance and get out there and play and then uh, when I'd come home, I'd I'd be want to play for Freel Warriors Steelers, and and then um, as that season was finishing, and I was heading back over to England, I'd be just gearing myself up to, to play for Rovers, and when I'd get there, I'd be chomping at the bit to play. And um, but the interesting side effect of that is that I didn't have to um, do a pre-season or off-season training se- sessions which I think are much harder than training during the season. Uh, and, and I was doing my weights and, and things like that, but um, I I just 
enjoyed playing the game and being on the park and and uh, running the ball and making tackles and uh, and playing with my mates. So it was, yeah, it was easy. And I suppose there's something there where, you know, you was probably constantly always at that level. Whereas obviously if you had an off season, you'd, you'd dip down, have to get your fitness back, get back up to game speed. Whereas, you know, not having a summer, uh, winter off, you know, where he was constantly playing, you're always at, at that level. I suppose he was fortunate to avoid, you know, pretty much any serious injuries. I just suppose, John, you know, now you um, obviously finished playing and, and you probably took some hammer to the body, etc. Have you have you noticed any long-term effects from, from playing at such a high level for so long? <laughs> some people would probably say I've lost my marbles. Um, <laughs> no, I... Um... I've had my right hip replaced, and that was probably from goal kicking and, and general play kicking and all that sort of thing, all the extra stresses on the body in that way. Um, I've had my fair share of injuries. I broke my right ankle just two weeks before I, I got married in 76. Um, I've had a, a broken right thumb. I've, um, I've done medial ligament on my right knee. Uh, back in 1980, before I went to Rovers, and uh, so yeah, I, I, and I've fractured uh, cheekbone in England and um, broke my nose a couple of times in England. Um, so yeah, I've, I've had my fair share of injuries, but I, I haven't had anything that's been uh, overly debilitating uh, beyond uh, rugby league. No. Yeah, well, that's great news and, and, and good to hear. And. You didn't return for the 84-85 season. Uh, Rovers actually um, won the championship but lost the premiership to St Helens. How disappointed was you that he was not able to come to come back and, and sharing that success with Rovers? Uh, very, very disappointed, actually. At that time, we, we owned a, um, a business here in Wollongong. It was a, a fitness centre uh, called John Dorohy's Fitness Centre and um, it, it was going well. But unfortunately, the... Um, we just had to uh, stick around and manage it because you know we, we weren't we didn't have good enough managers to uh, to, to allow us to travel. But um, that said, uh, that allowed someone else to go, and I think it might have been Captain Miller, maybe. Um, and uh, I guess it was, it was probably a time for me to have a, a rest, and that and that was one of those times. And I I did have a, a pre-season then, and so it was uh, good to get that back into. Into steam and um, yeah, and get back over to Rovers uh, at the end of um, eighty. No, when was it? Eighty in eighty-five. Yeah, eighty-five, eighty-six. But it was prior to there that uh, Brian Smith, a coach that many people will be familiar with over here in England, uh, dropped a bit of a bombshell, didn't he? And he and he thought about should we drop down to the reserves or you should be going back to England a bit sooner than than maybe what you wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and look, that that may have been in just going back to what you're saying about um, you know having an off season, etc., and, and playing uh, consistent football over a couple of seasons. Um, I was probably a wee bit tired and down on energy and that sort of thing uh, when I come back and uh, played, and uh, and I think possibly um, I, I wasn't as uh, enamoured by Brian Smith's coaching at that time um and and i guess uh it yeah, everything sort of fell off the rails a wee bit and as and he came to me and said look john i think you know it might be a time for a stint in second team and i said oh look 
you're the coach, mate. That's up to you. But uh, look, I, I think I'm ready for it and uh, to play first team again and um, and finish off the season, you know, as well as I possibly can. Anyway, as it turns out, I I didn't get dropped, but I um, I certainly picked up my game and and finished it off. And uh, yeah, and then able to go into the next off season. Yeah, you came back for 85-86. Was there any other teams sniffing around at that time, John? Because obviously not being under contract to Rovers, you know, if people got wind of that, you know, it'd probably been easier to put a contract in front of you. Uh, to be honest, Chris, I, I really can't remember. I, um, yeah. And if they were, it, it wouldn't have been entering my mind to, to go anywhere else but Rovers if the, the door was open there. It would have been probably more likely I'd have stayed home and, and just carried on playing in Australia because it, you know, we, we just enjoyed uh, being at uh, Hull so much. Yeah, and that 85-86, I mean, incredible really when you, you consider, I think Rovers played over 40 games, you played 37 games, John, they reached the final of every single competition that they played in. Um, you know, we've just been talking about, um, you know, the effects on your body and, and fatigue and stuff like that, but to play such a long season like that, John, was... was um, must have been incredible, you know, energy zapping, but also must have been, you know, really thrilling and enthralling because you're constantly in big games. You're always, you know, in front of big crowds and you're always striving for that next competition. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that was, you know, aside from winning the, the, the first club to have won the double in 83-4, this particular one was um, a, a real highlight because we were playing so many games and I, that was like playing two seasons in one season for me, you know, up around that 20 odd games that we play over here and 40 over there. Um, but the interesting part was when we got to the back end of the season was that we had 10 games to play in, um, oh, what was it? Seven or eight. So like 19, 19. In, 20 days, I think. Some, yeah, that's crazy, right. Yeah. So every other, every other day there was a game on. And um, yeah. so, you know, Roger Millwood, um, very smart thinking, um, you know, gave guys a rest and didn't make them play either one or two games. And they, they let them play every second or third game type thing in, in the run-up to that uh, end of season. Uh, and, and I think that probably had a, uh, a big telling factor on where we're at when we got to those end, end of season games. Yeah, and I think obviously the fact they played uh, the Yorkshire Cup final, John Player Trophy final, you know, you'd already played a huge amount of games before you'd even reached sort of the, the midway stage of the season and, and then fed it away through the season. Uh, yeah. But when you look back at them finals, uh, obviously beat Castleford 22 points to 18 at Headingley, then lost to Wigan in the John Player Trophy, eight, eight points to 11. And then you look at the back end of the season and it's probably reflected in, in just how many games that you played when losing to Wigan 47-0 at Central Park. Um, you know, that, that run of games would take its toll on anybody, wouldn't it? And also, it was a time when squad sizes weren't, weren't huge, were they? No, correct. Yeah, absolutely right. Uh, there was always going to be a downer uh, when you're playing so many games close to each other. Uh, you know, and then you're relying on your second team players and, uh, and then, of course, they've got to finish their competition and things like that. So, um, you know, you, you're running the gauntlet for, for injuries. Yeah, you're running the gauntlet for uh, just general fitness and, and tiredness of mind and things like that. But uh, I must say, uh, Roger and Johnny Moore um, 
did a hell of, hell of a job uh, getting everyone up. Yeah, and uh, you know, an incredible season, uh, finals, derby victories. But there's two games that uh, stand in in the memory of a lot of Rovers fans, and that's the the Challenge Cup semi-finals uh, versus Leeds, and then the subsequent replay. Um, yeah. Twenty-four points to twenty-four at Ellen Road. Obviously, an incredible game. But uh, for you personally, John, um, you know, it was a interesting day, wasn't it? To to did you suffer a, a broken cheekbone? I did, yes. Yeah, broken cheekbone and um, had a uh, an operation on it and cleaned it up and just went straight back out and played on the, the following um, Wednesday night. It was, um, it was a big thing, but, you know, I was up for it. You know, there's no no gain in no pain, so have, have a go. Yeah. Um, it, it was... Uh, it was an amazing period because um, yeah, we we just had we, we really wanted to win. We wanted to go to to Wembley and uh, we wanted to try and emulate the the nineteen eighty side. And uh, it wasn't to be, of course. But at, at the same time, uh, when we we played down there at uh, in the, the second game at Ellen Road, um, we, we were just so much on that um, you know with. It was just a one crazy game, and uh, we, every everyone played to the top of their game. And Paul Harkin played well on that night, and uh, so yeah, we we got the, the money, and we we're off to Wembley, which uh, an extremely exciting and uh, humongous time. It was unreal. Yeah, and I think in that replay, thirty uh, odd thousand at Ellen Road. Roger Millwood said it was probably one of the most complete performances he'd ever seen from Hull Kingston Rovers. Did, did you feel, John, that some games that you played where you could just get a sense that everything just clicked? It was almost you was untouchable, that you could things just were, were meant to be? 100%. Yeah. Um, you, you take the first Challenge Cup round. We played uh, a derby game against Hull at Craven Park. Um, and just the day before, actually, I, I had to... Um, drive my wife uh, Linda and, and daughter to the airport and they were jumping on a plane to go home and and uh, look after our business that uh, the manager had run off and um, so I, I was there with our two lads and um, you know and this was a, a derby game to start with and then it was a challenge cup game to you know for the, the end glory that always comes up in May um, and it was just one of those games that uh, you know stood out so much, and we all put our heads to the game. And uh, you know, as much as Hullwood would have been worthy winners, also, um, you know, Rovers uh, got the money on the day, and um, you know, then we then we ended up playing the the, uh, the replay at Ellen Road. Uh, that we, we, I would say, probably in that season, that was the absolute best game that we ever played as a, as a team. Um, and we come away with the goods. Yeah. And obviously you, you brought your family over for the Challenge Cup final. You're a huge occasion yeah. for, for you and your family and also for Hull Kingston Rovers. You know, you, you must have been absolutely delighted to be able to, to go and play at Wembley. Probably a, a stadium that you'd seen from afar on TV over in Australia. But the, the, the prestige and the, the history that goes with the Challenge Cup for you to be featuring in it and, and hopefully, you know, with an eye on winning the trophy, it must have been a fantastic occasion for you. Yeah, Chris, it was. And it, it actually goes back to when I was a teenager. Um, with um, Wembley was a, a big thing um, here in Australia because it would be on TV at uh, midnight. 
and uh, my, my mates and I would we'd all gather together and we'd at one of our places and we'd we'd watch the game on TV the same as we'd watch the the FA Cup final just a, a week or two before um, and um, so looking at Wembley and the awe of Wembley and and the um, hearing that the singing and the chanting you know well before during and, and after the games um, you know was a very enticing factor in wanting to play in England and and then um, in the next fact I mentioned Dave Cox earlier who uh, arranged for me to go to to Lee he said John you know you never know mate you might be able to um, or he said you never know lad he said you might be able to uh, um, play at Wembley one time well <laughs> you know he was certainly um, looking well ahead of time and uh, having that chance to go down with uh, Hulk KR was um, uh, one of the major top three highlights of my career. Yeah, and obviously on the day things didn't quite pan out how we hoped, did they? Uh, with Rovers suffering at, at 14 points and 15 defeat to Castleford. Obviously the final is, is well remembered for uh, that miss at the end for, for goal. Um, John, obviously talk us through that because I know that prior to uh, that kick when you'd been warming up the day before at Wembley, you'd actually taken a kick from exactly the same spot and, and nailed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How bizarre is that? Um, <laughs> we we're out there having a, a walk around Wembley as they they do on the day prior, um, and and Jack Unsworth, our, our gear man, he um, he brought a couple of balls in and bucket of sand and uh, and said, oh, "Let's just go off here." And, and I still had my my trousers on and shirt and all that sort of jazz that I wasn't in any uh, playing gear and we went down to the virtually the very same spot and uh, and the reason we went went to the the edge of the, the sideline was that uh, around about a, a meter and a half outside of that there was about a, a four inch drop uh, down off the turf and so it was just like practicing really and anyway yeah I, I kicked it on the on the uh, the Friday but couldn't quite get there on the Saturday. I think it must have been the crowd blowing the wind, <laughs> so yeah. whatever. I, no idea, but um, yeah, very unfortunate that one. But in saying that, I don't think that was the the critical kick. Uh, to me, you know, I always remember it as though it was yesterday. In the in the first half, we scored a try to the left of the the uprights, about mid between the middle of the uprights and um, and the and the sideline uh, at the uh, the change room end and I was kicking and uh, I missed that goal which you know 99 times out of 100 I'd probably get um, and and I think that was more the difference than it was um, you know that that final couple of minutes after John Lydia had scored in that right hand corner. Yeah, but I think Colin Hutton said, to be fair, it might not have been your fault, that one, John, because did Gary Prom, you know, not put it down in the wrong place or when he tried, he, he didn't give you the best chance of, of, of maybe getting that kick where he could have maybe helped you a bit more by was putting it, it closer to the post? Oh, was it? Yeah, OK. Sorry, with Prom's who was, yeah. John Lillian scored in, uh, in the last, yeah. yeah, in the semi-final. Um, yeah, <laughs> oh. <laughs> Don't take away from Prams. He's the, <laughs> one of the most professional uh, rugby league players I've ever met, played with, and played against in my life. Um, and um, you know, all he wanted to do was get the ball across the line and give us a chance. Uh, so yeah, he, he did his best. Uh, I did my best, but it, 
um, unfortunately, it just didn't quite go between the uprights. Yeah, how did you deal with that personally, John? Because many players, you know, that could make or break a play, couldn't it? It's such a um, a big moment in a in a in a huge game. Ninety ninety odd thousand people watching you. You know, probably millions watching on TV. How did you deal with it in the in the next few days after that? Uh, I was devastated. Um, I, I wasn't happy. Um, I went over and over again. What would I do differently? Um, and you can tell by what I've just said now that um, I remember it as though it was yesterday. Um, it's probably out of my career, one of the top two things that I regret having not been able to achieve. Yeah. And obviously the the problem with that is, um, you know, You'll be forever if if you're onto YouTube, John. That uh, that clip, that video is, is is you know unfortunately one of one of the most viewed clips. But it's um, I wonder, did you have to change your technique to 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 make that kick from what you would normally do? Because you mentioned the pitch was um, a little bit shorter from the from the edges. Yeah, yeah. I I actually uh, in hindsight, I reckon I should have taken a shorter uh, run up uh, and not step down. Either that or I should have taken a step back away from the ball with a, a practice run up and tried it out that way before I'd come back to actually kick the ball. Whereas uh, on that occasion, I I set the ball up, everything was right. Um, but as I stepped back up off the, the running track area, if you like, uh, up back onto the turf, um, then... I must have put myself a little bit out of uh, measure going forward and, you know, I've, uh, I've struck the ball uh, beyond the, uh, the parallel level and, and I've pushed my foot to the right, which then, of course, pushed the ball across the face of the, the post. Yeah. And that was a, the, the final game in what was a, a pretty incredible season. You returned to Australia once again for a, a player coach role before returning to Rovers for your, your third and final season at the club. Um, you played 30 times in that final season, top point scorer once again. But obviously the season didn't quite pan out as previous ones. Could you start to see a bit of a decline? I think a number of players started to leave and... Uh, I think financially the club was starting to, to suffer. Maybe could you could you see a decline while you was there? I I wouldn't say a decline. I, I think it was probably more the fact that the other teams were catching up. Um, Rovers were was still a very competitive and uh, strong team, but um, you know we had quality um, overseas players. We had uh, superior players from from uh, the local. Um, area and uh, you know the English blokes were fantastic um, I, I think we just probably made too many mistakes on the day and didn't quite get the money in the games and, um, and of course that that made us fall short yeah and, and talk to us about how you how you finally um, your Rovers career came to an end and, and how you went back to Australia yeah um, so 87 was the end of that and uh, i didn't feel as though I'd uh, be back, um, and you know I think Rovers were because of the, the year they had. Uh, they probably needed to have a, a change, and um, it, I, I wasn't sorry for it. Uh, it. It was just the way it was. I 
went in actual fact I went back and um, played at uh, North Sydney and uh, Frank Stamp was my coach that year and he wanted me to stay on for 88 and um, so I ended up uh, staying there for three seasons. Yeah, rolling back the years there, John. How old was you when you played for, for North Sydney? Oh, golly, I was um, <laughs> 30, 33 to 35. I think, no, 32 to 34 or something like that. Yeah. Well, it's fair to say you enjoyed a, a fantastic career at Hawkinson Rovers, but that wasn't your time in England over, was it? Because you made a return with that uh, with Halifax as a, a player coach role. Yeah, Chris Anderson got in touch with me when I was at uh, Norths in '89 uh, and said, "Oh, John, uh, made it, he was talking to David Brook, the chairman, and said, oh, would you be interested in uh, going over as a player coach?" Um, and of course, us loving England and having <laughs> missed. Uh, 80, 88, we, um, 87, 88, we, we decided, yeah, we'd love to go back. So um, we, we took it on and uh, David Brook agreed to go over. Um, the contract was signed on that occasion, uh, prior to going, and uh, we, um, we thoroughly enjoyed it, even though we were in uh, the second division. Yeah, and you had uh, coaching stints at Wigan and Warrington. Wigan, uh, although it was a success on the pitch, uh, a few wranglings off it. Yeah, you know, you know what? Um, the the challenge was that a couple of things here. One is you, normally that the coach gets his set up how he wants it to be. Um, I don't think Jack Robinson, the chairman, allowed me to set it up in the way that needed to be set up for a winning formula. Um, in the backroom staff. The one or two of the players, uh, I certainly played against uh, most of the players in my time there. So there was always a bit of, because we were competitive on the park back then, um, and there was, and I clipped a couple of players um, that, you know, that they probably had a little bit of angst against me, that sort of thing, held on. And so it was one of all, how's this guy going to go? Uh, we, we started off a little bit gingerly because I, I changed a few things that um, were, were there previously that I felt that we needed to change up. Um, and I brought some really good um, um, plays and potential from my time at Newcastle as an assistant coach there with David Waite. And um, we, we were heading in the right direction and we, we got there in the end. Uh, but by that time... Um, the other thing that happened was was off the park and it had nothing to do with me was there was a, an ownership challenge and one bloke wanted to own it. Another bloke was trying to continue owning it. Um, and um, and I, I become the pawn in the in the story. Um, and and it was two weeks before we went to Wembley. Uh, Jack Robinson had uh, been at a, a board meeting and he called around home um, after that, and um, we had a cup of tea, and uh, he said, "Oh, John, look, I'm not here for for good reasons." I said, "Oh, what's that?" And he said, "Oh, well, look," and he said, "It's either either me or you." And he says, "I'm the chairman, so it's you. You're gone." Um, I said, "Oh, okay." So what? No way back from this. He said, "No, mate." And he said, and again, he you know he told the story, and um, and it um, just. Yeah, went, went south from there and uh, we, we went to Wembley. We won 
but there was no coming back from it. Yeah. And of course, you're not the only Dora here to have a connection to Old Kingston Rovers with your son, uh, Sam, yeah. for the club back in 2002. I think you made nearly 30 appearances. You know, for you personally, it must have been very proud, uh, a very proud moment to your son line up in the red and white of Rovers. Oh, 100%. Uh, proud as punch that uh, one of our lads would go back to Rovers and, and play uh, first-team rugby with, with uh, you know, a club that we, we love dearly and uh, Dane, Dane loved dearly. And um, it was, you know, that was the one thing that uh, when he got the opportunity, he, he was he was proud as punch to be able to follow in the footsteps of his father and, you know, as every son is in, in that regard. And um, I think he did all right uh, by the sound of it. And, um, you know, he's, um, he's done pretty good himself. He's, he's now uh, head coach of uh, South Sydney Rabbits second team. And um, so he's he's gone down that pathway now, so you never know. Yeah. Well, John, it's been a fantastic chat and, and I, I know for sure that our our viewers and our listeners are going to really appreciate you sharing your experiences. And, and I hope that when um, I reach your age, my memory is as good as yours because I, I can't remember what I did yesterday, never mind looking <laughs> back you know, 10, 20 years. It, it's been a really fascinating insight into what happened at your, your time at the club. And if you could probably just sum up you know, how much you enjoyed being over in England, but also how much you enjoyed your time at Old Kingston Rovers. Yeah, thank thank you, Chris. I was actually going to say I'd love to just uh, finish off with um, a couple of things. One is we love, as a family, to go to England and to be with uh, in Hull, uh, to be a part of the whole, whole Kingston Rovers family um, and to, to live out at uh, Thorngamball and have such... Great family friends as uh, the, the Gale family, uh, to then have great family friends from the, the playing group as well. Uh, and we're hoping to catch up with a number of them uh, when they come out to watch um, Great Britain play here at the end of this year. Um, but importantly, we, we, we as a family thank Rovers, Colin Hutton, uh, Marjorie Hutton, um, Roger and Carol Millward and um, and Jackie Smith uh, for you know really pulling us all together as a um, as a group um, that made it a, a great deal easier to uh, for, for me as a player and for any of us as players to um, play well each weekend and um, as I say as a family it's probably the highlight of our life uh, to have had the opportunity to uh, live and and uh, experience the, the game of rugby league, um, especially at Hull Kingston Rovers. And I really appreciate, appreciate the opportunity to uh, talk with you, Chris, and um, talk to the great many fans out there on the podcast. And uh, all I do is I, I wish Rovers all the very best under Tony Smith um, for for winning season ahead and uh, and uh, continue on growing into you know the better club that's always uh, looking to grow into. And thank you very much for the opportunity to be on your podcast. Yeah, no, the pleasure's all mine, John. An absolute gentleman. I can see why you've uh, got the nickname Joe Cole because it's been a, an absolute pleasure. This has been uh, the Red Robin Podcast Heritage Cast with John Dorahay, powered by 360 Chartered Accountants and Budget Ties Auto Centre.